In the late night of May 19, 1983, a woman ran into an emergency room covered in blood. The woman screamed for a doctor, begging them to help her. Then she turned and she ran out the door. The doctors followed her outside, where they found her kneeling by her car. Inside, they found her three children. All of them were covered in blood. The four of them had all suffered serious gunshot wounds, including the mother. They rushed them into the hospital where they tried their best to save their lives. They also notified the police of the situation, and they came down to the hospital hoping to learn what had happened. The mother was in the most stable condition, so they interviewed her first. What she would tell police would go down in infamy. Welcome to the Truly Terrifying Show. If you like stories about crime, killers, and mystery, then this is the spot for you. We upload one to two times per week on YouTube and all podcast directories. We also post some additional content on TikTok and Instagram, so if that interests you, go check it out. In today's episode of the show, we are going to be covering the Downs family shooting. Make sure you stick around until the end of the episode to hear the incredible twist. If you like what you hear today, please make sure to like and subscribe. I put hours of work into every single episode, and seeing positive feedback really keeps me motivated. Anyways, let's get straight into today's show. Elizabeth Downs was born on August 7, 1955 in Phoenix, Arizona. She had a difficult childhood. She was abused by her father at 12 years old and unsuccessfully attempted suicide the next year. Both of her parents were extremely strict, so at the age of 14, she decided to rebel and change her name to Diane. During middle school, Diane found it extremely hard to make friends. She would often be found eating lunch alone. It wasn't that she didn't want any friends, it was that she just really didn't know how. So as high school drew closer, Diane decided she was going to start fresh as a completely different person. In her first week at Moon Valley High, Diane tried her best to put herself out there, be outgoing, and make new friends. To her surprise, it worked. In the first week, she met a boy named Steve Downs, who she quickly became friends with. Only a couple weeks later, he would end up asking her out on a date. Diane was shocked. This was the first time she had made a real friend, nonetheless been asked out on a date. She said yes, and a couple days later the two went out for ice cream. Even though the two of them were extremely stressed about it, they ended up hitting it off. It felt like Diane's life was finally taking a turn in the right direction. After a few more dates, Diane decided it was time to introduce Steve to her parents. Unsurprisingly, they disapproved of him, which actually made Diane like him even more. The two of them continued to date throughout all of high school, but at the end, they were forced to go their separate ways. Diane enrolled in the Pacific Coast Baptist College in California, and Steve decided to join the Navy. Once Diane started her first semester at college, she missed Steve, but was extremely excited to be away from home, and she took advantage of this newfound freedom. Her and her friends would sneak out of the dorms in the middle of the night to go wander the streets of Los Angeles, meeting boys and going to parties. She was having the time of her life. This didn't last long, because only a couple months into her first semester, Diane was caught sneaking out and was expelled for what they called promiscuous behavior. Diane was forced to move back home with her parents and pick up a minimum wage job. She worked it for a couple months, but grew extremely unhappy and could not bear it anymore. 
Living in her childhood home brought up traumatic childhood memories, which she thought she had escaped. So one day, she packed up all of her stuff and moved across the country to go live with Steve. They started dating almost immediately, and after only a couple months, they decided to get married. A year later, in 1974, they gave birth to their first child, a beautiful girl named Christy Ann. During this time, Diane tried to spend every single second she could with Christy, but the money was tight, so she picked up a couple shifts at a local thrift store. Two years later, Diane gave birth to another girl that they named Cheryl Lynn. It was after her second child that she finally felt as if she had escaped her gloomy past. She was married to her high school sweetheart, they had two beautiful girls, and they were planning on having another child soon. Her life was perfect. Almost. Diane desperately wanted another child, but Steve didn't. He wanted Cheryl to be their last. Although she was sad, Diane eventually seemed to move on. She claimed that Steve was just too important to her, and all she wanted was for him to be happy. But then, three years later, Diane suddenly became pregnant again. Things just didn't add up. Because Steve was so adamant he didn't want another child, they had been extremely careful. Although there was a slight possibility he got her pregnant, it was extremely unlikely. Nonetheless, Steve was there by her side throughout the whole pregnancy and was there when she gave birth. In 1979, Diane gave birth to Danny. After seeing the child for the first time, Steve was now positive it wasn't his. His two daughters looked practically identical to each other, sharing Steve's long face. Danny, on the other hand, looked nothing like them. Steve confronted Diane about this, and after a lot of pushing, she finally admitted that Danny was the result of an extramarital affair. The two divorced in 1980. Now a single mother of three, Diane moved to Cottage Grove, Oregon, and started working for the Postal Service. Feeling a hole developing in her life, Diane applied to be a surrogate. She hoped that carrying another child might make her feel better. But after applying twice, she was denied both times. The psychological tests revealed that she was suffering from psychosis. Diane felt as if her life was once again going down a dark path. She began neglecting her children, leaving them with Steve or her parents unexpectedly, and putting Christiane in charge of her siblings for long periods of time. As a result, the children began looking unkept and malnourished. Then, in 1981, Diane started dating a man that would end up changing everything. The man, Robert Knickerbocker, had met Diane back in Arizona and the two had clicked on almost every level. Nobody knows for sure, but it's speculated that Robert might be the actual father of Danny. Regardless, Diane and Robert didn't officially start dating until after the divorce. Robert was charming, had a high-paying job, and represented stability for Diane. There was only one problem. Robert was married. Robert and Diane continued the affair for a little over a year, and would frequently talk about starting a life together. But as the affair went on, Robert became more vocal about not wanting kids. In 1983, Robert ended the affair because it was too complicated for him. Diane was devastated, but her friends and family rallied around her and helped her in any way they possibly could. 
On May 19, 1983, Diane was driving home from her friend's house with her three children in the back seat. They were driving down a quiet stretch of highway when something caught Diane's eye on the side of the road. A man with bushy brown hair was standing on the side of the road waving for her to come help. It was dark and there were no cars around, so she hesitated. But the man looked pretty harmless, so she decided to stop. Her car stopped about 30 feet ahead of the man and she watched in her rearview mirror as he approached. When he got to the passenger window, she rolled it down. That's when her nightmare came true. The man reached behind his back and pulled out a pistol, pointing it right at Diane's face. He told her to get out of the car, so she turned off the car, got out, and put her hands up on the side of the road. Then, he demanded that she give him her keys. Diane turned back to her car, seeing the terrified faces of her three children. And she turned back to the man, and she jumped onto him. He was so surprised, he wasn't even able to get a shot off before she was tackling him to the ground. The two of them wrestled on the ground, with Diane trying everything she could to get to the man's gun. But before she was able to, he was able to fire a shot, hitting her in the side. She slumped over in pain, which allowed the man to get up, and he walked towards the car. He stopped at the driver's side window, reached his hand inside, and unloaded his clip into the back seat. The man turned back to Diane, pointing his gun at her, and he demanded her keys. She reached out from under herself and chucked them into the bushes. The man ran after them, which allowed Diane to get up, run to the car, and grab the keys which she had actually pretended to throw, starting the car and peeling away. As she drove frantically to the hospital, Diane looked down to notice that the bullet had actually missed her chest and had hit her arm instead. When she arrived at the hospital, she ran straight into the emergency room screaming that somebody had shot her children. The doctors followed her outside to see the gruesome scene. The children inside were covered in blood and barely alive. It was clear that they had been shot from nearly point blank. Some of the doctors were unable to hold back their tears as they rushed the three children inside. The second youngest, Cheryl, was no longer breathing and the other two were just barely. Luckily for Diane, she had only been shot once and it only required a few stitches. This allowed the police to bring her down to the police station and question her about what happened. When she got to the station, Diane told them everything that had happened. They were super worried about the safety of the general public, so the police issued a massive search to find the bushy-haired murderer. The police were able to locate the spot Diana described, where they found bullet casings and some blood. It was a desolate part of the highway, so unless the assailant had a getaway vehicle, he had to be nearby. Despite this, the man was never found. When this man shot my daughter, my first reaction was to snap back to my childhood, to the pain that had happened to me back then, my marriage, my entrapment by society. This man was bigger than me. He was stronger than me. He had more power because he had a gun. And I stood there and I looked at Christy reaching and the blood that just kept gushing out of her mouth. And, and I, what do you do? Everybody says you sure were lucky. Well, I don't feel very lucky. I couldn't tie my damn shoes for about two months. It is very painful. It is still painful. 
the scar is going to be there forever. I'm going to remember that night for the rest of my life, whether I want to or not. I don't think I was very lucky. When she returned to the hospital, doctors told Diane that her second youngest child had passed away, and her two other were in critical yet stable condition. The doctors expected her to be hysterical, but she took the news surprisingly well. After being told that her son Danny might live, she said, Do you mean the bullet missed his heart? Gee whiz. At this point, detectives became suspicious. Not only had she been unnaturally stoic when hearing about the death of her daughter, but her gunshot wound in her arm was extremely suspicious. It was uncertain whether Diane's story was real or not until a couple of days later when Diane's oldest daughter Christy finally woke up. Although a stroke had impaired Christy's ability to speak properly, she was able to start telling the police what had happened that night, and what she told them was shocking. The following is the true story of what happened. Despite what some people thought, Diane was never a good mother. She was neglectful towards them and would often verbally and physically abuse them. She would often forget to feed them and they were extremely malnourished as a result. And like I said, she would leave six-year-old Christy to watch over the children for extended periods of time. Diane was especially harsh towards Cheryl, who actually told neighbors that she was afraid of her mother only weeks before the shooting. When Diane met Robert Knickerbocker, she became obsessed with him. She would spend every waking moment fantasizing about a new life with him, and as a result, her attitude towards her children became even worse. After Robert ultimately ended the affair, Diane became a shell of herself. Her family was worried that she would either run away or commit suicide. Instead, Diane did something much, much worse. Robert didn't want kids, so Diane decided she was going to get rid of hers. On May 19th, Diane had been driving home from a friend's house just like she told police. She also told police that she had taken the scenic route home, which was why she was on that desolate stretch of highway. In truth, she had chosen that road specifically because she knew it was quiet. After driving for a while and not seeing anybody, Diane pulled over to the side of the road. Then, she reached into the glove box and grabbed out a 22 caliber pistol, which she used to shoot all three of her children point-blank. Then, to make her story more believable, she shot herself in the arm. After that, she started driving to the hospital as slow as she possibly could. In later interviews with witnesses, her car was seen driving as slow as 5 miles per hour towards the hospital. When she got there, she dropped her kids off, went and got the interviews, and came back, not once shedding a tear. She was also quoted in saying some strange things, like, Boy... This really spoiled my vacation, and that really ruined my new car. I got blood all over the back of it. The detective that took her statement claims that within 30 minutes of talking to her, he knew for a fact that she was guilty. Terrifyingly, after Christy woke up and Diane went into her room to check on her, Christy's heart rate went from 100 to 140 in a matter of seconds. When the police finally interviewed the girl, who now had a permanent speech impediment, she told them that it had been their mother who had shot them. Diane was arrested almost immediately. 
you can't replace children, but you can replace the effect that they give you. And they give me love, they give me satisfaction, they give me stability, they give me a reason to live and a reason to be happy, and, and that's gone, they took it from me. But children are so easy to conceive. Before her trial a year later, Diane had somehow managed to get pregnant, hoping to score some sympathy points with the jury. This only further proved the disrespect Diane had for human life. Diane was sentenced to life in prison, and only a couple years into her sentence, she managed to escape. Two weeks later, she was found only a couple blocks away from the prison, in bed with one of her cellmate's husbands. Diane remains in prison to this day, and will likely be there for the rest of her life. As for her children, the two siblings were adopted by the lead prosecutor of the case, and her other child was adopted as well. Thank you guys so much for watching this episode of the show. I really hope you liked it. If you did, please give it a 5-star rating. It seriously helps us so much. If you have any tips or suggestions, don't hesitate to tell me. You can leave them in the comments or on my Instagram or TikTok. See you next week.